Today's episode has a lot of heart, and our guest's story has its roots in unconditional love. Roz Keith is a wife, mother, entrepreneur, ally, and advocate. In 2013, when her son came out as transgender, there were few resources available to help him transition socially, emotionally, psychologically, and medically. After nearly a year to find appropriate resources to support her child, she knew she needed to be a support for others. And that's how Stand With Trans was born. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. So there's a vineyard in Portland called Ram Cellars, and one of the labels that they have is called Vive, which is named after the owner, who is Vivian. And $5 uh, from every sale of that line goes to provide support to queer and transgender people. And it's cool, too, because Vive in French means to live and to be alive. And so they made that choice to come because they were able to come to light and live fully as themselves. They want to give back and provide resources for others. And we thought that we wanted to support an organization while we talked to Roz. And I'm so and this particular one is Petite Verdot. And so it's um, it's kind of earthy and spicy. Mm, John, just right. Roz, I'm so excited to hear from you. Your, your story is so cool on a number of levels, actually, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who thinks bigger. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're about? Sure. Um, ah, well, I guess I should start by saying that um, I am really happy to be here today and to talk with both of you. And I guess by way of introduction, I um, will say that I am the founder and executive director of Stand With Trans. I use she, her pronouns. And I, you know, my story is so intertwined with my personal life that it does get complicated. And sometimes it's hard to separate, you know, the personal from the professional and it all just kind of blurs together at times. And um, I have to, I guess, make a concerted effort to find those breaks you know, whether it's in the day, in the week, um, to deliberately go into a different space, you know, whether that's an activity or, some, you know, a different, you know, putting my phone aside, not <laughs> sure. my email at nine o'clock at night, which is sure to aggravate me before bedtime. So, so you're telling us well, you're one of those people who can't really stop working and or you're one of those people who your job matters to you enough that it all blurs together. We know those people. Yeah. <laughs> we might be those people. We might be those people. Yeah. It's a little bit of, I guess, both. Um, and I, you know, it's just this desire to make sure that the work we're doing is having an impact and that we get things checked off our list. And it's, it's so futile sometimes because the work is never done and the work is always there. So whether you turn it off at 6 PM or at 9 PM or don't look at it on the weekend, it's still going to be there, you know? Right. So that's a hard lesson and um, I'm working on that. Yeah. Well, Jen, Jen and I were very fascinated that you kind of came from marketing and advertising and 
and did an about face and started a nonprofit. So kind of talk to us about your, um, you know, the end of, of that first career and how you kind of knew you wanted not only to, to create something, um, so that you could provide for others what you couldn't find for yourself and your son, but also because you, you, you said to us earlier, you always wanted to be a helper. Yeah. You know, I fell into the world of advertising and marketing. It wasn't something that I had dreamed about doing or um, really pursued that type of career and um, did always imagine that I would have, I would do something that would involve helping others. You know, I was in elementary school. I read to and tutored younger kids and those who struggled to read. And, you know, I was the kid on the block who had a Halloween party for UNICEF. And (laughs) so, um, you know, I liked the idea of teaching. I, you know, thought that I would perhaps be in the field of psychology or social work, uh, but just never found my way there and did not, and also did not find a lot of meaning in the work that I was doing in advertising. Um, it wasn't anything that people were particularly passionate about in terms of, you know, if you're advertising for a sporting goods company or apparel or, or consumer packaged goods, it's like, it's hard to get excited about a new canned soup flavor, right? So, <laughs> I, you know, so I just, it never felt like home to me. And when we were able to see our way clearly, once our son was on his way um, to his transition, so many conversations started happening about, um, you know, others in the community and, and so many families literally coming out of the closet and reaching out to us and saying, I don't have, uh, I don't have anyone to talk to and I can't find a doctor and I can't find a therapist. And, you know, my son is struggling or my daughter is struggling. And I just knew like, it was just instinctual. I just knew that people needed the same thing that we needed at the time and that my son who said, I don't know anyone like me was not the only kid saying that. And so, you know, one conversation led to another and we started this nonprofit and I have to tell you, I didn't know anything about the nonprofit world, which maybe was a good thing (laughs) um, going into it. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, I, and I had, kind of already left the world of advertising um, a few years prior and was doing some more entrepreneurial things. But this was really an opportunity to just give back and help people who were struggling, help people who were in the same boat that we had been in, and to provide a space, you know, a, a space for parents to talk to other parents and for kids to come together and not even necessarily talk about trans stuff, but just to be in the same space as other kids who were going through similar things. It just normalized everyone's experiences. When you, when you don't think anybody is like you and then you're, you get to be with people who are like you. Um, But that was nearly 10 years ago. And 
um, the conversation around LGBTQIA plus issues is a world apart today. And we've got a really long way to go, but it's it's much more accessible and in mainstream conversation than it once was. I mean, there are popular shows that include um, those themes. There's there's literature, and um, tell me, tell me what our mental health, what are the mental health benchmarks right now for for trans kids in terms of suicide rates and or dropping out of school, et cetera, violence. Yeah. So we know that, um, during COVID youth mental health issues, I guess we could call them, um, the need for mental health support among teens skyrocketed in trans youth and trans and non-binary youth. Those numbers are even higher. And, we also know that um, trans youth are, I think it's like nine times more likely to attempt suicide than their cisgender peers. And all it takes is one supportive adult to be there for a child. And those numbers change dramatically. Um, trans youth are harassed and bullied. Um, often school districts don't do anything to um, reprimand or to provide consequences to the offender, um, which is clearly inappropriate. And it um, flies in the face of Title IX and mm-hmm. um, providing, you know, equal access to youth and, and non-discrimination really. So, um, kids have been bullied from the beginning of time. And this is just like one more, you know, when I was a kid and wore glasses at at young, young age, you know, it was, I got teased for wearing glasses. Kids got teased for wearing braces. They were fat shamed. Um, you know, last ones to get picked for the teams in gym. So now it's just like one more way that kids are picked on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a society, we really need to raise our kids differently. We need to teach them about kindness. We need to teach them to accept differences. And the, the, one of the biggest issues with trans kids is that culturally we're not conditioned to support those differences and right. you know um trans people are seen as other and mm-hmm. it's not normal so um you know it's it's normal to wear glasses but kids get teased anyway you know not the best analogy right. but you know with different gender and diverse gender identities. Um, it's just, we don't live in a world where that's normalized yet. And so we have a lot of people who don't understand what it means. They think that, um, there's deviant sexual behavior that goes along with it, which just compounds the problem. Um, but it, it goes beyond bullying too. 
Um, because you, you mentioned it just takes one supportive adult, but so many trans kids I have read are, are also faced with no supportive adults at home that, that they become homeless or, um, housing insecure or not safe in their homes. Um, when they start to express who they, who they are, um, is that, are you seeing that pretty consistently as well? Yeah. And going back to COVID with kids having virtual school, that was um, compounded as well because they were then isolated at home with parents potentially, or in theory, who were not supportive. Whereas if they were physically in school, they might've had the opportunity to talk with a teacher they might have had an opportunity to go to the school counselor. You know, there's always that one teacher that all the kids just mom onto, right? And they're the friend and they're the safe person or the school counselor. Um, I know when my kids were in high school, the school counselor, you know, had open door policy and there was always a big bowl of candy and, you know, they, they could stop in anytime they wanted to chat. But when you're at home doing school virtually, those opportunities disappear. And so um, that, like I said, it just made a bad situation worse. And there are kids who, you know, even if they're able to talk to a teacher or a counselor who finally have the courage to come out and tell their parents and their biggest fear is that their parents, A, won't love them anymore and B, will be kicked out. And that does happen. Sometimes they just hold off coming out because they're so, so afraid that they won't be loved anymore. And it's heartbreaking. You know, kids should not ever worry about someone loving them, about, you know, having that unconditional love and support at home. So it happens and it happens more often than we would like. And then the problem is there's nowhere for them to go. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, there's, there's so much red tape and bureaucracy, even if you wanted to take a kid in, um, so, well, does this get reported and does the foster care system get into the mix? You know, what does that all look like? Can you safely house, um, you know, a teen for a couple of weeks, how do they get to school? It's yeah. Is that where, is that where stand with trans has been able to be helpful though? I mean, as I hear you talk about this quagmire of what happens when kids don't have support, that's part of what you're able to offer with support groups and resources. So can you talk a little bit about how you can fill those gaps? And I mean, well, and, and I want to also point out, you know, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times and, you know, you really started as a resource for Southeast Michigan, but COVID is really what took you national. So talk a little about, you know, how Stand With Trans supports kids. Yeah. So if you have any kind of device and Wi-Fi, you can attend a support group virtually. Mm-hmm. Now, there are kids who maybe don't have a phone that has, um, you know, Wi-Fi access or they don't have Wi-Fi at home. 
Um, there are, I mean, believe it or not, you know, there are households in rural areas that don't have reliable Wi-Fi. Um, yes, they could go to a library to do some research, but mm-hmm. it's public space, so they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable, you know. So we haven't solved all the problems, but um, because COVID came and we had to shift all of our programming to virtual from in-person, it became a national and international resource. We've had kids from other countries um, contact us and attend our programming. So that's the beauty of it. Um, For any of our support groups, tween, teen, young adult, parents and caregivers, um, you can register. They're free. We never charge youth to attend anything. Um, So it's an opportunity to be in a safe space, even if it's just for 90 minutes to chat with some other kids who identify similarly and be with a facilitator who is going to help guide that conversation and, um, provide, you know, just the time and the space for kids to connect and to talk about whatever, you know, they may spend 90 minutes and never talk about gender identity. They may be talking about, video games and, uh, you know, or even trans characters in the media or, you know, it's open. There's no particular structure. So to combat a lot of the um, isolation and even the lack of understanding from parents, we really place a big emphasis on education. And we do that through our parent support groups. We do that through community events. We do that through trainings because we feel that the more people are educated, the more they know, the more supportive they'll be. They may not understand and that's, you know, that's fine. You don't have to understand, but you do need to be supportive and affirming. If your child says I'm a girl, then just believe them because they know better than anyone else who they are. And it's the same, you know, I've had parents say to me, but how do they know? They're just too young. How do they know? And they get really indignant about it. And I remember looking at a dad once in the support group and I said, how do you know that you're a man? And his jaw dropped and he just stopped in his tracks. He's like, oh, he said, you're right. I never thought about it like this. Yeah. And, and it, it's amazing to me because you're starting with education but it's almost like concentric circles. You, you're starting with the, the beings who are involved in this relationship, but then you, I would imagine you've got networks of pediatricians and um, psychologists and sociologists, but then the, the wider circle there even is then policy. And so how do you, you know, how do you change your hats and know which circle to work on? <laughs> like I said, the work is never done. Um, yes, there. Uh, we definitely have gotten much more involved in the advocacy piece and being more knowledge, and we're more knowledgeable about public policy and what's going on, uh, particularly in Michigan. That we try to have a broad understanding of what's happening across the U.S. Um, 
I participate in a monthly public policy call with other folks from LGBT orgs in Michigan. Um, so there's a lot of collaboration there. Um, one of the partners in that initiative, um, and even more so, we have we have a coalition of LGBTQ centers in Michigan, and one of our partners in that is the FBI um, in Detroit, and their their office specifically works on. Um, sex crimes, sex trafficking, sex extortion, as they call it, and specifically um, sex trafficking for the LGBTQ community. Mm. And it, it's happening. It happens all over. And, it, you know, it's happening a lot in Michigan, things we don't want to hear about or talk about. So it's really important for us to be informed so we can then inform and educate the community make people aware, let parents know what's going on. Um, and, you know, this, the same with policy. We often will um, come together with other agencies to create public, uh, poli- public policy forums so um, the community can have access to the information and to understand what's happening and, you know, what bills are about to be voted on and, you know, cause there are hundreds of bills out there, hundreds, hundreds of anti-trans bills, which, you know, you talk about the conversation 10 years ago, people weren't talking about trans anything, but they also weren't con- too concerned about who was using what bathroom and they weren't concerned about who was playing sports. And, you know, so it's just opened up this, uh, the floodgates of hate and desire to control where there doesn't need to be any control. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if, um, you, you've worked very hard for a decade to help open up an issue and help people be able to communicate and have those resources. Culturally we've done that, but also as that has happened, the, the angry folks have come out of the woodwork and they, they're continually making it more difficult and trying to lock down what people do with their own bodies. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, it's scary. We just had a conversation yesterday about um, banning conversion therapy. Yeah, um, it's legal in Michigan, and there are typically two streams of folks who try to impose conversion therapy on trans folks, or even, I mean, it started with the gay community. It's either licensed mental health therapists or um, religious leaders. And I believe that the, the low hanging fruit is, is trying to um, put regulations around the licensed clinicians because that's an easier body to govern if it becomes illegal statewide, then of course that affects everyone and there's no religious exemption, but you can't pray the gay away. And, you know, you don't say. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and there was just news yesterday. There's a, um, a fairly new wedding venue in Grand Rapids. And I saw that. You see that. Um, so it's Western part of state for anyone listening who doesn't uh, know the geography in Michigan. And, um, they said that everybody is welcome in their venue, but they won't do same sex weddings. 
So it's like. So really you're not welcome. Yeah. So basically you're not welcome. You know, it just, so it's every day and people in the community, you know, vulnerable trans people, they're the marginalized of the marginalized feel every day that they're being invalidated. They're, they're being harmed by these types of behaviors. They, it puts people into a tailspin going through like serious bouts of depression and, you know, really struggling to put one foot in front of the other. So, yeah, I mean, the work, the work is, is endless, um, you know, because our mission is to support trans youth and their loved ones. We really try very hard to stay in our lane and provide the resources that will do the most good, have the most impact at any given moment in time, because we can't, we can't be all things to all people. We can't be everywhere. Um, but we can stay informed to then, you know, turn around and inform and educate our communities. What can people who are listening or what can Jen and I do, you know, if we don't have a, I happen to have trans kids in my life. Um, I know Jen does too. And, um, what, what can folks like us do to not only become, you know, really strong allies, but also to make sure that we're constantly educating ourselves um, to ensure that we're allies for others? Yeah, thank you for that question. So there's a lot of things you can do. You can um, be an equality voter, make sure you're registered to vote and vote for the people who will protect the rights of LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, first and foremost, you know, see what they stand for, see where the, you know, don't shop in, at stores and support big companies who put out their pride flag, but are donating money to anti-LGBT organizations and initiatives. Um, that's like, you know, hidden because, you know, they're rah-rah during pride month and the flags are out and they, you know, slap pride everything on their stuff, but they aren't necessarily supporting employees, um, providing an inclusive environment. They're not supporting necessarily the, the work. They're working against it with their dollars. So, you know, look at those lists, decide who you're, you know, where your money is going to go. Volunteer, find a local organization and volunteer for, um, an LGBT center, a trans organization, um, Stand With Trans loves to get volunteers helping with all kinds of initiatives. Donate, you know, support financially, support the organizations because the nonprofits can only do the work with the dollars that come in. You know, we're not selling widgets to have a revenue stream. It's all through grants you know, corporate sponsorships, individual donations. That's how we keep the lights on, so to speak. You know, that's how we can hire really great staff and we can put on programming and we can just be out there and be visible. So all of those things are really important. You know, show your support through your wallet by where you shop, make a donation, volunteer, vote, vote for those who are protecting your rights, especially in Michigan. Michigan listeners, right now we have, uh, Michigan Governor 
secretary of state, attorney general who all support LGBT rights, but that could change. So I can't tell you who to vote for. (laughs) But you can tell us what to look for. And one would think that that's common sense, but I think that guidance is, is still best said rather than unsaid. I have another question for you. Sure. What does what does Hunter think about his mom? Uh, you know, I guess outwardly he probably just tolerates me. <laughs> um, Don't they all really? But I know, I you know he's at the stage in his life where he appreciates me. He appreciates the work. He knows what our support. He knows that a part of who he is and where he is is because we supported him. But I think he's at the stage in his life where he doesn't want to be the poster child. You know, um, he's on some of our marketing materials and he's fine with that, but he also needs to just move through his world right now as a young man and um, find his way and not being not and to not be defined as a trans man. Yeah. But yeah, I know. I mean, he's, he's proud of the work and I think, you know, he, he allows me to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Someday we'll get to a point where it's just not a defining factor. It's just an, an, a thing that, that we move past in our regular life without batting an eye. Right. And that's what we're hoping is that we can um, normalize gender diverse identities and move past the otherness. Um, And, you know, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. If I have to hear another white man politician ask what the definition of a woman is, I'm going to lose my mind. But you can hear that over again. <laughs> it's a whole different podcast right there. Yeah. I I will lose my mind. So absolutely. Um, so I know my glass of this beautiful wine is empty. Um, are there any final thoughts or words that you'd like to share with folks before we say goodbye? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I just want people to be mindful that we are all human beings, that we all deserve to have space in this world and to find peace, to be able to, um, just live authentically and to not have the barriers and the boundaries that our society has imposed just because somebody grew up with in a binary world. I'm one of those people, you know, you were a boy or you were a girl, you were a man or you were, I mean, that was it. There was a ladies room, there was a men's room. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's the reality of our, of our world right? Just because that's what you know. There's, there's so much more beyond that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like to say you have to be open to possibilities because you just don't know. And you don't know how your world is, is going to be tomorrow. You don't know when you're, what your child might come to you with. 
it's it's not what we plan for, but your gender is not a choice. Coming out is a choice and how you support your loved ones is a choice. So to all you parents out there, you know, to me, the only choice is just loving unconditionally and you will have then amazing relationships. Your child will be a better version of themselves and, and they'll acknowledge it, you know, it may take them a while, but um, it just strengthens, strengthens the bonds. Well, that's the best my day. parting words. I know, right? <laughs> I just, Jen and I are both crying. I'll take it. <laughs> I can see you. Pour me a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And where can people find Stand With Trans in, in the ether? Yeah, great question. Just go to standwithtrans.org. And you can also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Instagram at standwithtransmi for Insta. And everything else is just at standwithtrans. If you Google standwithtrans, you will find all of our stuff. You'll find the programs, the website, the social media. Social media is really great because if you follow us, you will see things that other organizations are doing and other things that are happening in the community because it's not just our work. We share what's happening and we really, it's all about educating and creating opportunities and creating visibility for what's happening in the community. Wonderful. So everybody go and do the social liking things and um, maybe even hit that donate button. There you go. That good advice. Thank you so much, Roz Keith. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Oh, let's be honest. Creatives want to be creative all the time. In some ways, we treat the lack of skills in other arenas as a badge of honor. But the truth of the matter is, creativity is only a quarter of the job. So join us next time as we figure out how to manage the other 75%.